0: Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. All right, let's open our Bibles to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We're trying to get Flynn on stage as much as we can. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark, and you're joined us in a, at the end of a series. We have uh, this week and next week that we're going to conclude a series that we're asking and answering questions that the world is asking us as believers. Most, the first four questions in our series uh, really are questions that we're being asked by people who used to go to church, and because of something that turned them off, or a pain, or a trauma in their life, no longer go, or people who have decided they can't go because they see Christians, they don't see the difference. We've asked questions like, how can a, a good God uh, condemn people to hell? What is truth? And is there an absolute truth to guide your life by? Talked to, last week, Elijah did a great job talking about what about those who have been hurt by the church and how do they respond? You see, the questions we've been talking about are questions we're getting in coffee shops and questions that are being sent in and people I'm meeting with who are like, I have been to church for years and here's why. And they have really good questions. This is not a flex series. This is not we're smart and they're not. They're good questions they're asking and we should be unashamed of the answers because we answer them in the character of God and who God is and why he can be trusted today's question is different though this is an us question this is a question I want to ask believers if we do believe that God is just and God is fair and God is kind and and we do believe that there is truth and that truth is found in Jesus and if we do believe that the church is for the manifold grace of God to be displayed then I have a question for us what about those who desire to live by faith what about us Does faith require faithfulness? Does it? Is a lack of attentiveness to the person and plan of Jesus more than foolish? How should we live? If this God we suggest, if this God revealed in Scripture is real and true, then shouldn't he be trusted significantly more by his people than he is? You see, in the Scriptures, there's a call to faithfulness. Is faithfulness just a good idea? Is it just something we ought to do but not obligated to do? Is faithfulness perfection? In the letter to the Hebrew Christians, I want you to notice an emphasis in this letter about the urgency of living out our faith. I'm just going to scan the first 12 chapters and you're going to see these commands, these encouragements. Pay attention. Hold on encourage one another, strive hard, let us carry on, do not cast away your confidence, run with perseverance, endure hardship. You see, faithfulness according to the word of God is more than just a good idea because something is at stake. As we have done in this series to answer the big question of the morning, we have to ask a preliminary question to set it up. In other words, when we get this first question right, we can answer the greater question because it'll build perspective. So the preliminary question is, what will the waiting for the return of Jesus be like? If faithfulness is the life we live in light of the return of Jesus and the promises that come with that, then what will we be facing in the waiting? Because when we understand what we may be facing in the waiting, we may understand why faithfulness is more than just a good idea. What's at risk if I'm not faithful? Now, some of you are getting nervous right now, and and I've actually written it so you would be. You might be sitting here going, now, wait a second now, are you telling me that I may go to hell if I'm not faithful? What I am telling you is this, life will be hell if you're not faithful, That there will be no hope, there will be no joy, there will be no purpose, there will be no satisfaction. So this question is important because when our faith is challenged, what do we rely on? Faithfulness in a God who can be trusted or just hoping the bad times pass quickly? You see, to answer the question, what will waiting for Jesus be like, the Bible makes it clear, there will be intense spiritual battle, not occasional Not light, not comfortable. Intense spiritual battle. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 6 Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, this battle that we're facing, even in our country this week, and you know, for those of you visiting, I do not like to preach the front page of the newspaper, not because I'm scared of it, but none of you came here this morning to hear my editorializing about anything. You came to hear the word of God. And that's what I wanna give you today. But you don't have to look far into our world to realize <clears throat> the waiting is getting harder, isn't it? And, and the pressures and the darkness is increasing. And our light is not diminished. Our light needs to be shown brighter than ever before because the darkness is enveloping the land. The the value of human life is suspect today. And so because of that, we are not battling. What what we're going to solve is not going to be found in laws. It's going to be found in the human heart. It's going to be found in standing up for the value of the Imago Dei in every one of us, the image of God. This is important. The pervasiveness of sin is on the increase. And I am not chicken littling this. The sky is not falling. It's already fallen. We live in a broken world. And so remaining faithful is more than just a good idea. It's necessary. I think what's interesting is when I was growing up that the monitoring of political movements and what was going on in the Middle East is what most prognosticators decided would help us know when the end times were coming as if the Bible hadn't already said we're in the end times. But everyone's looking to the Middle East and military movements and everything and I kind of bought into that as a kid and got really freaked out in the late 70s about all that was going on in the Middle East and then one of my professors said this and he wrote this 20 years ago. The end will be heralded more by what is happening in university classrooms, in the communication media, and among the religious assemblies than by developments in the Middle East. The things we must pay attention to are movements and developments in the realms of ideas and in the proven character and behavior of people in our culture. He was right. There are three main challenges that the church and you and I face in the waiting. It's a battle for our minds. The spiritual battle is a battle for our minds. It's a time of falsehood. Lies are being purported as truth and truth is being mocked as a lie. And we know this to be true. In Revelation 20, it says Satan sets out to deceive the nations. Culture. In 2 Thessalonians, if you have that open, chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For the day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't let anyone deceive you, Paul says. And then he gives the example of the apostasies and the false religions that are leading people to death and destruction. Verse nine, the coming of the lawlessness will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They neither love the truth nor believe the truth. There is a battle for our minds in culture today. What we're seeing in movies and and television, what we're reading in books, what we're hearing on the radio, the influences of this culture are promoting lies. Some don't even know they're promoting the lies. They're promoting desires They're promoting passions as if desires, passions, and feelings are truth. It's a battle for our minds. There's a battle for our wills. Like I said, after this week, I don't have to spend, I had four paragraphs written. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. It's a time of wickedness. Now, the world doesn't use that word anymore. In fact, sin is seldom used, it's a mistake, it's a choice. But the scripture is clear Satan has the power of temptation. The power of temptation is not greater than you. When we give into temptation, we need to remember we gave into it. We did not have to. Temptations are prominent, but temptations only prove or disprove our faithfulness. It just tests who we are and what we truly desire. In verse 12, Paul says, So that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. You see, all I want to do is focus your mind and heart. Would you agree that we live in an age where people delight in wickedness and mock truth? You see, we live in an era of guilt-free sin, which is so dangerous, and taking delight in wickedness as if it is normal and should just be taken for granted. And don't you dare love someone enough to tell them that what they're doing is not good for them. You see, I think love is to will the good of another. To will the good of another is to love them. Yet today it's difficult to will the good of another because if you tell them they're doing something wrong, then you become the wicked one rather than the one who truly cares. It's also a battle for our lives. It's a time of persecution. Here in the United States, I've not seen it, but I do know friends and colleagues in the kingdom Across the globe today, do not be mistaken, church. There are people in the world today that are putting their lives on the line to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. There are people today who will go be with Jesus because their lives will be ended because they dared to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's character. It's not uncommon. It's just not common in the U.S. So what do we face? We face ostracizing, bullying, ridicule, economic injustice, people losing jobs and having their businesses taken from them because they take a stand, all directed against Christians because they are Christians or as Jesus warned his disciples, because of my name. Verse 15, so then brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. When Jesus was preparing to go to Jerusalem the last time, to allow himself to be placed on the cross, to die for the sins of the world. He warned his disciples that not only would he go through this, but he warned them in due season, Jerusalem itself would fall. He cried over the city, and he prophesied what would happen. And if you know your world history, in 70 AD, Jerusalem was crushed, the temple was destroyed, and everything Jesus said would happen, happened. And Jesus warned his disciples that some of you will live to see this. And he not only warned them of that moment in AD 70... But he also warned all of us. I'll show you where. Luke 21, 34. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. See how he just transitioned from a moment in AD 70 to all Christians? Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Is faithfulness more than just a good idea? Yes, it's a necessity. It is the purpose for which we are here, to remain faithful and loyal to Jesus above every threat, above every idea. We're to take every thought captive unto Jesus. We are to remain loyal to him, hold fast, stand firm. So how do we focus on a lasting faithfulness? What do we have available to us that it's more than just our willpower, which is seldom enough? In Luke chapter 12, if you'll turn in your Bibles to that, Luke chapter 12, verse 35. While you're turning, let me give you the background. Luke 12 is a really rich, uh, Chapter. It deserves more attention than I'm going to give it this morning. So I'm going to encourage you to read it this week. Because what Jesus is pointing out to his disciples and those around him is they have allowed themselves to become distracted by their reputations, by their, uh, their desire for wealth and taking care of themselves financially. And so he is warning them that these things cannot sustain them, that these things are not enough, that they're unsatisfactory, and he pushes them to remaining faithful. That's the thing they should spend their lives on, not their reputations or their wealth, but on their faithfulness. Or as one theologian said, we should live in the future tense. We should live today as if the reality of tomorrow has come upon us. That the kingdom that Jesus established is here. And when we're living in the will of God, we're living in the kingdom of God. Not one day on a cloud, but today in reality, that the kingdom of God can break out in our culture. And after this week, wouldn't it be a good thing if the kingdom of God broke into this place and gave it a good house cleaning? Absolutely. If it doesn't start in the church, where is it ever going to start? Let the kingdom of God be found. And with this promise of Jesus' return, our responsibilities to remain faithful increase. Luke twelve thirty five. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like servants awaiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they will immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. Jesus is using an illustration of a wedding, but it's not going to make sense to us here in the States because our weddings are so distinctly different from the way they would do weddings in Jesus' day. So let me give you the context. A wedding day was chosen The bride would be at the house with her bridal party. Her parents, her family members, her friends would be gathered at the house, and the groom would come. Now, the day was known, but when he arrived was unknown. Ladies, how would you like that? Right? Heather told me where to be, what to be, what not to be the entire day. So I just followed orders. Right? But on this wedding day, she's waiting at home. He could come six Eight, nine, he could come early morning, mid-afternoon. He'd come whenever he wanted and he would greet her and then the families would all go back in a big processional back to the groom's house and their weddings could last up to 10 days. Feasting and celebrating and rejoicing and Jesus uses this whole context to say this, I'm not setting a trap for you. I'm not trying to trick you. Jesus said, I am going to return. You can take that to the bank. I'm just not going to tell you when, because knowing when doesn't change your need to be faithful. Knowing when Jesus comes back, most of us would we'd play the game, the system, wouldn't we? He's coming back at midnight, 11 o'clock. I'm going to get my stuff together. It's exactly the opposite. Loyalty is not contingent on when Jesus shows back up. Loyalty is contingent on knowing He will show back up. And when He does, He deserves this from us. You see. Not many would run a personal errand that day, would they? Next Saturday's the wedding. The groom leaves with his friends to get the bride and her family and bring them back to the house. And he tells all of us, hey, stay here and make sure everything's ready. Well, when are you coming back, boss? I don't know. I'll be back tonight. What's tonight mean before the sun comes up? Well, that's a little, you know, legalistically, that's not tonight, but I'm with you. Now, in the middle of the day, do I decide, you know what, my camel might need some food because i got to go home tomorrow, so I'm going to run out and get food for my camel. Hope he doesn't come back now. Or Should we have bought food? Something like that, right? So you get the idea of a lack of preparation. No, if you know this is the day, you don't let anything distract you from being ready when the groom knocks on the door and it's open to the banquet. This is Jesus' imagery for us. For some of us, we're like, well, I just wish I knew. How much longer do I have to do this? Then you're questioning why you should be faithful, And I will say, in the moments that you question why you should be faithful, you should remember who you're being faithful to. Because when we focus on who he is, faithfulness seems the only response. Satan's lies, persecution, challenges, mockery, all try to distract us from being ready for Jesus. And listen to me, church. The point is not at that moment that the skies unroll, that some of us go, ah, I wasn't ready. It's living every day to be ready. It's preparing now to not let anything distract you from him. Nothing gets in the way. Verse 38, truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table. We'll come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. And notice, I, I, don't miss this, okay? In the middle of all my yapping, focus on the text, Jesus just said, and when I come back and you open the doors and the wedding party comes in, I'm going to have you sit at the table and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give you the best foods, the best wine, the best music, we are going to rejoice together. Yes, you are serving me, but I am serving you and it will be your delight and you will be rewarded for having been faithful. You won't be rewarded because you were perfect and you won't be rewarded because you made no mistakes and you won't be rewarded because you were better than your neighbor. You will be rewarded because you chose to be loyal to me and you waited and you waited diligently and when I arrived, you had built your life on this moment. And it says that Jesus will serve us. What kind of king does that? Ours. That's why we're faithful to him. Because nothing else in this world will ever be that faithful to you. So faithfulness is more than just a good idea. It's a celebration of who we serve. So get this. Jesus has promised us a future with him. So our present cannot be without him. If Jesus promises a future with him, our present cannot be without him. Because you don't believe that he's coming back if today you can't imagine would be that day. So what do we choose? We don't serve out of fear. We we serve out of anticipation. Verse 39, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house be broken into. You must also be ready because the son of man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Our faithfulness is not contingent on what we don't know. Our faithfulness is to be contingent on who we know. The king. Imagine your best friend who you don't get to see enough. All right? So if your best friend lives like near you, find a new best friend for the sake (laughs) of the illustration. So this is a college friend or a high school friend or a long-time friend. You just don't get to see each other. And they call you and say, hey, listen, we're gonna be coming through the area sometime the last two weeks of July. We're not certain the dates yet, but we know we're gonna be coming through and we'd love to stop by and spend some time and see you. you think that would be cool? And your answer, of course, would be yes. Now, because you don't know and they don't know yet, and they're like, well, we're gonna tell you when we get a little bit closer uh, which days we're gonna be in to see if that still works. Would you not, in those two weeks, would you not create space in those so that nothing got in the way would you decide we're not going to leave town we're not going to become tied up we're going to plan some vacation there and take some time so when we get to see these friends that we're going to actually be able to give them presents and time and and just be together and enjoy their company while we can have it of course you would your boss said hey can you take on a special project is it possible that i could protect this one week Friends, your, your kids come back and say, well, there's a big travel tournament that weekend. Not that weekend there isn't, at least not for you, because this is a special thing. This is worth all my attention. This is worth all my focus. This is more important than anything else right now is being able to be here when they come. You're with me, right, church? This is his story. He's not telling us to live in a cave. He's not saying you can't have a television. You can't play golf or you can't garden. No, he's saying, but what, whatever you do, make sure it does not distract you from preparing your heart to welcome me when I return because I will reward those who are faithful to me. Faithfulness is more than a good idea. It is the way we live our lives. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said it more directly. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove Faithful. Am I turning the grace of Jesus into a set of works? I am not. It is only because of the grace of Jesus that you will prepare yourself. It is not what you're doing, it's who you're living for that allows the grace of Jesus to be what it's supposed to be. So then, how may Christians prepare for his return? How am I to live, Mark? If faithfulness is more than just a good thing, how am I supposed to live? Well, I wanna go back to where we started, what the Bible has taught about what happens in the waiting. Since we know that, that in the waiting, it will involve a battle for our minds with deception and lies. We ready ourselves by knowing, believing, and embracing his truth. By knowing, believing, and embracing his truth. I don't want to be harsh today. This is too urgent to play word games. This is too crucial to who we become to to act too nice for the sake of not taking offense. So I'll say it this way. It is very important that the congregational leadership you sit under respects the word of God. And you can find that in a lot of places and in some places you can't. But we've always told people here, you need to make sure that the word of God gets preached. And that the word of God is honored as the authority of the way we live our lives but it is also as important that not only do you sit under leadership that respects the authority of the word of God, but you have to know it yourself. It is not enough that your pastor knows it. It's not enough that your small group leader knows it. It is important that the lies that come into your mind from culture, from Satan, from around the world that are coming in and telling you that the things of God no longer work, you need to know the word of God so you have something to embrace, believe, and hold on to when you're being lied to. You'll fall for a lie if you don't know it's a lie. Church, the reason we are promoting a pathway of discipleship is to give you the skills and equipment that you might know the word of God so you can stand up to the lies and take every thought captive to Christ. This is why John 8 is so crucial. To the Jews who had believed Jesus, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free each of us needs to grow in the word of God so we can stand up to the lies since it's a battle for our wills how are we going to do this I'm broken I delight in what is not good I sometimes crave the things of darkness how about you if being good was what would get me into the presence of Jesus I stand no chance I need a power bigger than me. I need something stronger than me that changes me. This is where we get in the habit of practicing submission to the Holy Spirit. This is where we open ourselves up to the guidance of God. 1 John 4, four, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. There is a power available to us in Jesus through the Holy Spirit to say no to temptation. To be reminded of the greater witness of God's kingdom so that we don't fall for the lies, deception, and the brokenness of our character that gives us temporary satisfaction instead of lasting joy. You are not to do this on your own. You don't have to do this on your own. Jesus has given you the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to submit and listen that the Spirit might change us. And there's a battle for our lives. Jesus did not promise us comfort. He did not promise us pleasure. He did not promise that the desires of our heart would be fulfilled. He said, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I will fulfill that one. That we trust God's promises no matter our circumstances. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, and in the first eight chapters, he does an amazing thing of telling us all that Jesus has done to provide for us what we needed, even before we knew we needed it and he gets to the anthemic eighth chapter where he establishes this beautiful text about what do we do what do we hold on to when life comes at us with everything where is our hope and our faithfulness based in Romans 8:28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose faithfulness is more than just a good idea faithfulness is knowing the love of God and knowing God. Then he asks later in the chapter, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword? All the comforts of life, all the threats that we fear. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Then Paul in this beautiful triumphant moment says, no, In all these things, still facing the worst thing that life can bring us, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul said, I am convinced that neither life nor death, angels or demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is faithfulness just a good idea? No, it is to live life with Jesus to be faithful to the one who has only been faithful to us and to live with loyalty and courage. It is the way we thrive. It is the way life becomes real and the kingdom is ours to experience. So all of that to answer the real question, what about those who desire to live by faith? Faithfulness is what we're called to, not perfection. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to Jesus, who has earned it. Faithfulness to the victorious one. Faithfulness to the promised one. Faithfulness to the one who's gonna return and set everything right. Faithfulness to the one who is going to explode with such glorious light that all the darkness will be gone forever and it will no longer increase. I do believe that the disadvantage or that the advantages of being a Christian in our culture are diminishing daily. It's easy to be a Christian in the United States, but the day is coming soon when it will not be. And what will we have? Courage based on faithfulness or fear based on comfort? Faithfulness is essential because it lets your heart know that you know him and it lets your body live out your faith in a world that doesn't appreciate it anymore. Yet we will be faithful. Should we be fearful? No. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. I'd like to close this morning by reading 2 Thessalonians 1. And I want to say to you this morning that if you've never given yourself to the love of Jesus Christ and the cleansing work of Jesus, we'd love to begin a journey to explain to you what that really means. And maybe there's some of us here today who've realized that we have fallen asleep and we have gotten busy and preoccupied with the things of the world and we're not awaiting his return. The next few moments, I'm gonna encourage you as we sing, in the back room, there are tables with lamps lit. We'd love to meet with you and help you discover what it is to find your completeness in Jesus and not in this world. This is what Paul wrote. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and he will give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Did you hear that? Paul says, God is the one who will strengthen you. God is the one who will equip you. God is the one who will protect you. You have to trust him. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the grace of Jesus, by the work of the Holy Spirit, for the will of God, he has called us to be faithful unto death. And he deserves it. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.